Hey, thanks for joining us today. I'm Pastor Andrew, the West Milford campus pastor here at the Plant Church. Uh, if you're new to our online gatherings, I just want to say welcome. We're really happy you're here with us. And to all of my Plant family, it's so great to have you back. Thanks for being here. Uh, we're going to be continuing in our series today, Can't Go Back. We've been taking the summer to talk about this topic called sanctification. And what we've been doing with this is looking at various people throughout the Bible uh, who had this kind of can't-go-back moment, these crisis moments where they had to choose in to a deeper level of following God. And so we're seeing what we can learn for ourselves in this as we follow Jesus in the world. And so we're going to take some time learning uh, about the prophet Isaiah. So if you have a Bible, you're going to want to open up to Isaiah chapter 6. You can feel free to press pause if you need to go grab your Bible real quick. And uh, we're going to be reading from there, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, in just a couple of minutes. But as we get into uh, our time today, as we've been talking about crisis moments, I thought there was no better uh, sage or wise uh, person to teach us uh, something about how we learn in crisis than the great TV icon himself, Mr. Rogers. Now, I don't know if you have any Mr. Rogers fans out there that are watching this, but in my house, we're Mr. Rogers fans. Um, I think my wife and I on a pretty regular basis will be watching it with my daughter and just be amazed at how he takes such complex and difficult issues, crises in these children's lives, and he just makes it so simple. And not that it's not hard, but it's easy to comprehend, and it's something they can wrap their mind around and begin to relate to and, and understand. And, and honestly, I think I appreciate Mr. Rogers now more as an adult than as a kid. Julian actually calls Mr. Rogers a national treasure. I, I don't think she's wrong. Uh, I'm especially impressed by all of the songs that he sings on the show. And I didn't realize this until I started watching it again with my daughter, but he wrote all of that music on that show. He wasn't just performing it. This is all part of his intentional plan to help children um, learn about their emotions and the world around them. And there's a couple of the songs that we even use with our daughter and they've kind of made it into our, our daily routine or something that we'll sing about or help her talk about a little bit here and there. Uh, but one of the songs in particular that uh, we will sing at times is this song, Look and Listen. You can check it out later, search it on YouTube or something if you want to hear what it sounds like. But uh, it's a song to help children kind of slow down and uh, begin to learn how to pay attention and look carefully and listen carefully as moms and dads are trying to teach them about themselves and, and the world around them. And it can be a really, really helpful song, but one line just stuck out to me all week as I've been preparing to speak to you today. And it's this line. It says, some things you see are confusing. Some things you hear are strange. But if you ask someone to explain one or two, you'll begin to notice a change in you. And when things are strange and confusing, Mr. Rogers reminds children that they can ask the ones they trust to help them learn and ultimately be changed. 
And I don't think this is just true for children, of course. I I think this is true for us as adults as well. And this is how I want to frame the conversation about the story of Isaiah today. You know, we're experiencing some daunting tasks in our world right now. Decisions that are going to be made uh, in the next several weeks, uh, both in households and Nations around the world and governments are making hard decisions at every level. We have decisions about schools reopening. We have upcoming elections happening. We have ongoing social tension around racial issues. We have people facing challenges with job loss and and financial stress. We have people that are having trouble in their marriages or trouble with their children. There's a whole list we could go on and on. And when we're confronted with these crises, we often need advice. And we seek advice because we want to be able to navigate these challenges well. We want to be able to succeed. We want to be able to withstand the pressures of what we're experiencing. And I, that's normal for any of us. I think that's a God created thing. And like Mr. Rogers teaches us, we need to look carefully and listen carefully to what we are taught by those we trust in order to be changed into the kinds of people who can withstand the challenges of life and the turmoil of our age. Now, the logical question that follows from this song is the question that I think Isaiah challenges us to wrestle with as well. You see, when you're faced with confusion or turmoil and challenging circumstances, the question here is, who is it that I'm going to trust? Who is it that I'm going to ask to explain things to me? And who is it that I am turning into as a result of who I am asking for help? If we trust the explanations of the world around us. We're just going to be reproducing the world that we live in. All of the hate, the the fear, the divisiveness, the brokenness, the confusion. But when we trust the explanations of God, the change within us will be the answers for the world around us. When we trust that God knows where this is going and we look to him for guidance and answers, the change that we begin to see taking place in us is a change that brings transformation, not just for us, but it brings answers and hope to the world around us. So let's read Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 10 and dive into this idea that God has for us to learn from today. It was in the year King Isaiah died that I saw the Lord and he was seating on, on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings and with two wings they covered their faces and with two wings they covered their feet and with two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundation and the entire building was filled with smoke. And then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed for I'm a sinful man. 
I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. And then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. And he said, yes, go and say to this people, Listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people. Plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts and turn to me for healing. Things were bad in Israel in Isaiah's day. Things were really bad. He writes this in the year King Isaiah died. Uh, King Isaiah's death started a series of absolutely terrible kings in Israel. Pretty much all of the kings of Israel, the northern kingdom when they split, all of these kings were pretty terrible, but these series of kings after Isaiah were especially terrible. There was economic and societal upheaval. And to make things worse, the people now were running away from God and they were trusting idols for their understanding about what was happening in the world around them. They had turned to false images for help. Now the Bible calls what the people did idolatry. And it's the practice of trusting idols or other gods for your well-being to learn from them when you're facing a crisis and figure out what you're supposed to do. And uh, people believed that uh, an idol was the representation of a God. So a spirit of a God would fill these images and then you would trust these images because it was the God speaking on, uh, through this image. And so you would listen to them and you would trust what they said. And you would model your life and learn from what they taught you. Now, this wasn't good for them to worship idols. In fact, this is one of the Ten Commandments. We talk about like the big ten. If there's ten things God said, hey, don't do this, this is on that list of like, if you're going to do anything else, okay. But these ten things don't do. And then they went and did that. So it was a pretty big deal for them to leave God and follow Idols, But why exactly was this so bad? What did it matter? Was it just God was jealous and didn't want them to follow other gods? What was the whole point of it? This is actually the whole point of what this passage is about is diving into this issue of why is this such a big deal that we're trusting in idols instead of God and going to them for our problems. Now, before we dive too deep into that, it, it can really sometimes be difficult for us in our day and age to find a connection when we're talking about idolatry. And, and that's because most of us don't uh, think of idolatry in the terms that we need to think about it. Like we're, we think of idolatry simply as I have a statue in my home and I bow to it or I pray to it or I light incense in front of it or, or whatever that is and I'm, I'm honoring that, that God or that image through that and I'm trusting them to help me through 
my, my day. But most of us aren't doing that kind of thing. But the idea of idolatry inclu- includes so much more than that. And I just want to take a minute to help us understand that before we go much further here. So the prophet Habakkuk in another book in the Old Testament, he actually gives us a great way of describing idolatry. And I think it really helps get at a part of idolatry that's important for us to learn from today. And so God's talking to him in this passage to Habakkuk, the prophet. And he says this, he says, woe to him who says to a piece of wood, awake or to a mute stone, arise. And that is your teacher? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath at all inside it. Idols were made of wood or stone, overlaid with gold, whatever. And idols weren't just things that you prayed to or bowed to. They were your teachers and instructors. People looked to idols for advice. They trusted their idols for economic prosperity, for safety and victory in war. And if you didn't like something that was happening in your town or in your household or in your neighbor's family, or you wanted to try and get that field that was next to your field, you would go and manipulate the idol and try and get the God's favor to swing your way instead of your neighbor's way. And how many of us do similar things today? How many of us are taught by influencers and and we give them a great amount of influence in our lives? And I don't mean people who are teaching, uh, you know, your school classes or, or pastors or other people who are teaching you from the Bible. I mean, people who are teaching you in another way. They're influencing your life. And who do you depend on for economic prosperity? Or who do you manipulate? Or what do you manipulate to try and get your way? Who is it that we are looking to and listening to in the words of Mr. Rogers? Who is it that we pay attention to to try and navigate this life and our crises that we face? Any kind of thing, really, that we depend on and trust in to try and help us navigate life becomes an idol in place of God. There's, there's things like a political ideology, for example. You know, I love our church because we're not like a single political unit. And what I mean by that is we have people across the political spectrum with all sorts of political convictions and that's okay and they find this church to be their home church but what is not okay is when any political conviction or ideology or anything like that that we hold on to right left or center whatever it is when that ideology or conviction becomes our teacher when that ideology or conviction becomes what we turn to first for our explanations about how things are happening or how they should happen. When we do that, we've made an idol. That's just one example. Our sexuality can be an idol. What do we do with our sexuality? How do we practice our sexuality? Um, It can become something that uh, we turn to for explanations, to make sense of ourselves, to make sense of who we are in the world around us. And when we use our sexuality as our teacher, we're setting it up as an idol above God. Material comfort 
could be another one. I live up here in West Milford on Greenwood Lake, and I see boats going back and forth all day. Maybe you've got a nice boat. And by the way, if you have a boat, invite me to come out on your boat. There's nothing wrong with going out on boats. I love it. But maybe you have the means in your material comfort, your boat or whatever else it might be, you have the material comfort to keep yourself distanced from the crises and the troubles that we're facing these days. Maybe it's really easy for you to remain comfortable in this season instead of following God to those in need. Sometimes our materialism can teach us to keep ourselves comfortable instead of following God, and it can become an idol in place of God. So an idol can, it really can be anything. It can really become anything that we're putting our trust in besides God. And honestly, it's just really easy for anything to turn into an idol because anything, like so many things in our lives, they can help us feel better and they make us feel safe. People have idols and have things that they turn to, to trust, because it makes them feel good. No one would do it if it didn't work, honestly. And, and so we, we have to recognize that people are doing this because there's something that we all need and we're hungry for and we're searching for. And, and as I observe what's happening in our nation at this very moment, and even among Christians, I see so many who have given themselves to some form of idolatry in pursuit of answers. And instead of having the answers for the world, uh, we're just reproducing what we see around us. We go chasing after an ideology or anything else or materialism, and we're just reproducing the same things that we see around us. As God tells Isaiah, they become blind like their idols. They become deaf like their idols. They become unable to speak or think just like those wooden idols. And they're just recreating the same thing that they're looking at right in front of them. A piece of wood or a piece of stone that can't think, can't speak, can't offer them any hope. And we're in a moment in history where we need a word from God. We need a word from God in our nation, in our towns, in our neighborhoods, in our households. We need a word of God for our marriages, for our kids, whatever is going on, for our jobs. We need that word, but we can't get that word if we're focused on trying to look and listen to our idols for direction. And it's time now for us to decide that we are not going to go back to that way because what God has before us is what he had before Isaiah that we can get a word, we can get hope, we can get answers for the world around us when we choose to make God our teacher, when we look to him for our explanations and for our understanding, when we look and listen to him, we can find a change inside of us that brings us hope and freedom and joy, not just for us, but for the world around us. So how do we do this? This sounds very kind of Uh, philosophical and pie-in-the-sky kind of thinking, but really practically, how do we trust God's explanation 
so that we end up finding these answers for the world? How do we trust God and lean into him instead of trusting in idols? So I want to invite us into three practices that I see Isaiah encounter with God here in this text. And I believe it's going to set us on a course to provide what our world needs. So first of all, the practice we need to do is to saturate ourselves in an environment of worship. Saturate ourselves in an environment of worship. There's two contrasting images that we see right at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 6. There is the upheaval of the kingdom of Israel. In the year King Isaiah died, there's turmoil, there's uncertainty. And juxtaposed to that, the next line says, I was in the temple. I was in the presence of God. I was in the throne room. I was in God's presence. And there Isaiah sees the, uh, the upheaval of the kingdoms of earth. And suddenly he's seeing the total unshakable nature of the kingdom of God. And not only is he seeing that, he's seeing and experiencing worship. They're crying out, holy, 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 holy. God's so different and so other and his kingdom is immovable. While other kingdoms are shaken, his is unshaken. They call him the God of heaven's armies. What a statement, what a title. And in worship, worship begins to um, teach us something differently about who God is. We begin to let the fake stuff about God's out to get us or something like that. And we begin to just see with clarity how incredible God is, that he's holy, that he's pure, that he's so other and different, and that he actually has an unshakable kingdom that's right there for us to join him in. Instead of the kingdoms of this world, there is an unshakable kingdom before us. But it comes to us and we begin to experience it, first of all, through worship. Now, worship can be uh, a little bit weird to teach on sometimes, not because it's a difficult subject, but um, because honestly, like worship can look kind of weird. Right? Isaiah's seeing these six-winged uh, six creatures. That's a little bit weird. And in church, when we're all gathered together normally, some people might raise their hands and other people might think that's weird. Other people might be okay shouting or, or dancing around a little bit. And other people are going to think that's really weird. Worship can be a bit strange uh, and, and even foreign. And if you're new to following Jesus, it can be this thing where you're like, I'm just going to stand here and kind of move my lips like just a little bit. And I'm just going to wait for this song to be over. But really at its core, I, I want to just bring two practical aspects of worship to you because this is what it's really about and what its purpose is for. And, I, and I do believe some of the physical expressions of that come in some ways as you begin to dive into these. But just two practical ways for us to get saturated in worship. First is thanksgiving. Now this isn't just a word we use when there's turkey on the table and stuffing. Thanksgiving is about gratefulness. It's, it's about recognizing 
our need for God and our dependence on his daily provision and how much he has given to us and thanking him for who he is. Honestly, I was in a time in my life where I was so ungrateful. I I couldn't even every day uh, think about anything God had done good in my life that day. I literally couldn't think of anything. And uh, my wife uh, challenged me every day for an entire year. And I still have the book. She wrote it out for an entire year every day. She, I'd come home from work and she'd just ask me, what's one thing you're thankful for today? And not a day went by when she didn't ask me. And it was so hard at first because honestly, when we're very ungrateful, God seems really small. And when we're ungrateful, it's hard to see what he's doing because he seems so small. But as we begin to like get that momentum going and begin to recognize things we're thankful for and that God has given to us, God's realness in our lives and how, just how big he is and how much he's doing just becomes bigger and bigger and more apparent to us. And so as, we, as I practice gratefulness and as we practice gratefulness, we begin to realize just how big God is and how much he's doing for us and has done for us. And we become incredibly aware of that unshakable kingdom that he has when we're really faced with the very flimsy, shakable nature of our earthly kingdoms. And so Thanksgiving becomes hugely important. It helps us develop confidence in God. So be grateful. It's a great thing to do at the end of a long day and just take a few minutes to say, what am I thankful for today? And then the second uh, practice of, of worship to help us saturate ourselves with worship, this is called praise. And praise, there's so, many, so much we could talk about praise. Literally, we could do a whole uh, sermon series on praise. It's amazing. Um, but what praise really is about is saturating ourselves in who God is and celebrating who he is and what he's done, whether it's something he's done for us or not. And, and through praise, what begins to happen as we shout and celebrate and sing and, and pray and declare all these things, we begin to think differently about how the world actually works because we become more attuned to the reality of God's kingdom and its unshakable nature than about the weak and shakable kingdoms of earth. I actually, I love the song, singing it, and I love leading the song, All Hail King Jesus. We've sung it before um, in church, and, and I love this song because it reminds me time and time again of who sits on the throne. It reminds me time and time again that God is in control and that he is the king of an unshakable kingdom. And the more I saturate myself in songs of praise like that, all hail King Jesus, all hail the Lord of heaven and earth. I love singing that because the more I do, it's teaching me how this world really works, that God's in charge, that he has not gotten off his throne, that he is overseeing an unshakable kingdom. And in fact, and this is a Amazing. Later on in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah, after having this moment, he'll end up saying this of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Isaiah is in awe in this moment of worship as he's saturated in worship. He's in awe of how incredible God's authority is and that he's totally in control and he's never going to stop ruling his kingdom, and it totally changes his perspective about how this world works. And in praise, we can totally have our perspective changed about how this world actually works.
Our idols often teach us to take control, but when we saturate ourselves in worship, we realize God is in control. So the first step to seeing our lives changed and having answers for the world around us is to saturate ourselves in worship. Second, we have to humble ourselves in deep repentance. Isaiah seeing the glory of God. He's overcome the worship. He's seeing really how things work in God's unshakable kingdom and that he's really in charge. And he says, I'm doomed. It doesn't first send him into joy. It sends him into humble repentance. He falls down and he says, I have sinned. I'm part of a people of filthy lips. I have filthy lips. I've seen God. I shouldn't be allowed to see God. This is a problem. What Isaiah was saying, what he was realizing is, I'm complicit in my people's idolatry. We have filthy lips. We've sinned. We've trusted others for protection, for provision. We've been seeking the teaching of our idols instead of seeking wisdom from God himself. And Isaiah was totally wrecked by this and he had deep repentance for his sins. One of the seraphim, though, flew to him, one of these worship leaders, with a burning coal. And I love that the purity of worship gets used to set someone free and bring healing. And the the, uh, seraphim says, he says, see this coal, it's touched your lips. Now your guilt's removed and your sins are forgiven. And Isaiah sees there and we see for ourselves that in humble repentance, we find healing and forgiveness of sins. You see, the more we press into God and we saturate ourselves in an environment of worship and we spend time in God's presence, there's going to come a moment where we get incredibly uncomfortable because we realize we shouldn't be there. We realize, oh my goodness, this is God. We shouldn't be here. And it's in repentance and recognizing our sin and pouring out our own guilt and recognizing where we've gone wrong and humbling ourselves that we now have access to healing that allows us to stay in God's presence. You see, you can come into God's presence the way you are, but God wants you to leave differently than when you came in. That's so important for us. In humble repentance, we find healing and forgiveness of sins. Listen, so many people want to provide answers for the world's problems, but they never want to acknowledge they're part of the problem. Isaiah doesn't say, God, they have all these problems and I've been near them, so I'm like filthy because I've been around them. No, he says, I've sinned. I've sinned. I'm part of the problem of humanity. I'm part of the brokenness of this world. If anyone's coming to you and they're trying to sell you something or they're trying to say, hey, we don't have to be part of the problem. We can be part of the solution. Listen, that's a great sentiment. But honestly, we're all part of the problem because of sin. We don't get a pass on this. 
And we need to acknowledge it is so important. If we want to have healing, if we want to be restored, if we want to be able to be in the place in God's presence where we can learn to get the answers and be transformed and changed by those answers and be able to bring his hope to the world, we're going to have to come to a place where we humble ourselves and repent of our sins. Because if we don't, Woe is us. Woe is me. Woe to us. We, we're just filthy people who are chasing after our idols. God wants us to get real. He wants us to get real and humble ourselves. We have to recognize our sins. We have to recognize that the problems of brokenness in this world are our doing too. And when we do that, There is healing. There is healing. Hear me on that. We're not left in guilt and shame and we just feel sorry for ourselves. There's healing and there's forgiveness and we're actually able to stand in the very presence of God Almighty. And when we repent, he's faithful and just to forgive us and we can stand before him and begin to be changed by him so we can have answers to the world. And that brings us to our third observation, our third practice. After we saturate ourselves in worship, after we've humbly confessed our sin and repented, we can surrender ourselves to the work of God on the earth. And this, my friends, is about mission. But I I want to uh, explain one more piece of context in the story of Isaiah that will help us understand how significant this is for mission. As I already mentioned, idols were believed to be filled with the spirit of, of that God, right? Well, what I didn't mention was that these idols, these images, were usually in temples, right? And these temples were usually like gardens or made to look like gardens because everyone believed that the gods and the images of gods dwelled in gardens, these places of abundance. Remember, they're in a desert. So anytime you've got abundance around, the gods must be there. And so these images are set in these temple gardens and they would be believed to be filled with the spirit of that God and they would be dictating and reflecting the will of that God into the world and instructing the people how that God wanted to be served and what they were to do. And the other thing that they would do is when they finished carving these images in order to invite the spirit of the God into the image, what they would do is they would take a burning coal and they would put it on the mouth of the image And someone would actually say, here I am, send me. And it was the signification that this idol, this image, was ready to be filled with the spirit of that God and be able to finally use itself for its purpose. And what the Bible says, what the Old Testament says, especially because that's the context it was in, is that there's no thing we can make with our hands that can be filled with the spirit of the true living God. There is no effective image that can replace the image God already made. Think about it. Creation story. Adam and Eve. They're made in God's image, it says. It's the same concept, same idea. They become images placed in the garden. 
They were given the purpose of reflecting God's will out into the world. And Isaiah understands it's what's happening here. He's had the coal touch his mouth. His sins have been forgiven. He's been cleansed. And now the spirit of the one true living God is going to fill him for one purpose and one purpose only. Not because we're supposed to be bowed down to. That's not what this is about. And that's not what Isaiah is getting at. And that's not what the Bible is getting at. But it's saying we're supposed to be the ones that are reflecting God's will out into the world. We're supposed to be the ones carrying out his will and his mission. But when we gave ourselves over to idolatry, when we let wood and stone in Isaiah's case, but in our case, maybe we let our ideologies or our sexuality or our materialism or individualism, whatever it is, when we gave those things the power to teach us and instruct us about how the world should work or how we should think, What we did is we compromised our ability to be sent by God. Isaiah recognizes that in this moment. He realized that he had no authority. Israel had no authority. And we see that we have no authority if we are in sin. If we are living through our idols and letting them dictate how things are going to happen. We've lost our ability to be the ones who carry the spirit of God ourselves. It was unheard of in Isaiah's day for a human to be filled with the spirit of God. And God said, that's exactly what I want. I want my creation, my people to come into my presence, be saturated in an environment of worship, to humbly confess their sin and recognize where they've gone astray. But then I want to fill them with my spirit and I want to send them out on mission to be my representatives all over the world, in every neighborhood, in every town, in every family. Do you have a dream? Do you have a, a, like a, a dream, a God dream, like a, a mission that you feel like God's got you on? An assignment? Maybe it's the family down the street who you just feel like you're supposed to help them out. Maybe they're going through a difficult circumstance or time and, and God said like you're on mission for them right now. Or maybe uh, it's, it's something like caring for the homeless in Mawa or West Milford or Allendale or in Patterson or wherever you live and call home. Or maybe it's something else. We have to recognize that there's hope for that situation. There's hope for those circumstances. And God has real answers that he wants to see happen through you because his spirit is in you. But if we give over our right to be filled with the spirit of God, to be image bearers, if we give that identity away as sons and daughters of God, if we give away our identity to false idols, to ideologies, to materialism, to our sexuality, to our individualism, whatever it might be, when we give over our authority to those things, we've lost our effectiveness to help that family down the street, to serve the homeless, to care for the needy, to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Whatever our call and the aspect of mission that God wants to send us on, we've lost our ability to do it if we give over to idols. 
And Isaiah recognizes that he's still standing here, cleansed, purified, forgiven. And God now is saying, who are we going to send? Because there's a message that needs to get out to the people that they've been blinded, that they don't realize that they're following the wrong thing. That people don't realize that they're just recreating cycles of brokenness and chaos and pain. Who will we send? And Isaiah recognizes in that moment. And I hope you are recognizing in this moment that when you come before God, when you're saturated in his environment of worship, when you are purified and forgiven of your sins because you've repented, you come to a moment where you hear God say, who's going to go on this mission with me and for me and you can recognize in that moment that God has commissioned you and he's set you up for success and he's filled you with his spirit and all he's waiting for you to do is surrender to his work on the earth and say here I am send me that's what God has been dying for that's what he died for on the cross that's what he's yearning for in every human being's life You see, when we give our God-created roles as image bearers over to idols, we have abdicated our authority to be missional agents for God in the world. And this is the big kicker. Idolatry doesn't just harm you and harm me. It doesn't just harm us because we're not close to God or we've run away from God. Idolatry actually harms every person around you because they are missing out on seeing the nature of God at work in you. And so we come back to Mr. Rogers and ask, so what or who are you looking to? And as you're looking to it or them or whatever it is, are you beginning to notice a change in you? And is that change a change that's leading to real solutions and answers and hope because, it's, because you've been looking to God, you've been looking to Jesus himself? Or is that change creating more cycles of pain and fear and chaos and hurt and confusion because you keep looking to the things of the world, the idols of the world for help and they just keep recreating in you what they already are and you become blind and confused. You can't look, you can't listen, you can't understand just like those pieces of wood that Isaiah was talking about. So what or who are you looking to and are you beginning to notice a change? And when you are looking to God, you are going to see, listen, I'm telling you the truth here. When you are looking to God, you are going to see a change in you that produces answers you wouldn't believe. It's an answer that this world desperately needs. It's the answer that your neighbors need, that your family needs, that your friends need. It's the answer your children need. And it is what we are supposed to be, church. It is who we are supposed to be in this season. We're not supposed to be creating more divisiveness and more argument and more fear and more chaos. We are bringing a clear message of hope directly from the very throne room of God because we have been commissioned to bring his love and his hope into the world. I want to be a part of that. Do you want to be a part of that? 
We couldn't do this on our own, of course. And that's really the story of the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible that we have today. It's the part that shows humans actually failed at being the image of God. We couldn't do it. But Jesus came. Jesus came and God would live among us. And the writer of Colossians picks up on this idea of being made in the image of God. This is not accidental. He says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Jesus came to be the image we could not be. He came to be the image to reflect God's true nature into the world. He died for our sins and sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us so we could finally live out what we've been designed for. To bring answers of joy and hope and peace to a world that desperately needs them to come into moments of chaos and crisis that we all face and are even facing now and we're not turning anywhere for explanations except God himself. And in Jesus, we find solutions and we can begin to say, I don't have to go back to turning to these other things for solutions because I've found the one. I've found the one who provides everything we need. I've found the one who can truly be that image that I can look to for every answer and every solution and all my hope. And so we're going to take some time to just saturate ourselves in worship. And I want to invite you to humbly repent and and surrender to what God has for you to do as you feel led. And I just want to challenge you, really use this time of worship uh, to pray and and seek God and, and pour yourself out to him as we lean in today. So let's worship together. Lord, Jesus, we're overcome by by your beauty. Jesus, we, we are so thankful that you became the image of the invisible God so that we knew what it looked like to follow God. Thank you that we can know what it looks like to follow God by looking to you. And Jesus, I just ask for everyone watching, our whole church family, and even our our friends and guests that are joining us today. God, I ask that you would lead them to an encounter with you where they can just be saturated in worship. I just ask God that they they wouldn't think worry about it being weird and just let it be what it is but it would just be pure and authentic and and they would give themselves in thankfulness and praise to who you really are and may it change their perspective. And Lord, I pray against uh any kind of fear that would lead them away from humble repentance, God. Make us people who humbly repent and get forgiveness, true forgiveness and healing from you. And Lord, we want to be totally surrendered to what you're doing on earth. That we want to bear your image. We want to be your image bearers everywhere we go. We can't go back to how things used to be, Lord. We can't go back. We refuse to go back. 
to following things that are just creating repeated cycles of fear and, and pain and brokenness. We want to step into what you're saying and what you're doing. Answers as we look to you, as we listen to you, that will bring love and hope and peace and healing to this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's been great to speak with you and uh, share and hopefully encourage you today. Um, We hope to see you join us soon again. Have a great week, everyone. Grace and peace to you.